Today's episode is brought to you by Bungalow Quilting. Bungalow Quilting carries the highest quality and most recent fabric releases. Your order will ship in less than 24 hours, and they are centrally located. Curated by a five-time author for CNT Publishing and designer for Studio E Fabrics, Judy knows how to select great fabrics for her shop. Shop online and use the discount code BUNGALOW to receive a 10% discount on your purchase for the month of October 2021. Thank you so much, Bungalow Quilting, and now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 202 of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals where you can strengthen your creative business, stay up to date on industry news, and build connections within our supportive trade association. Check it out at craftindustryalliance.org. Today on the show, we are talking about sustainability and sewing with my guest, Wendy Ward. Wendy is a writer, designer, maker, and educator. She's worked as a designer in fast fashion and for a small, sustainable brand. For her master's degree in 2004, she explored novel ways to recycle textiles. And in 2007, she moved into education and has taught numerous garment-making, textile recycling, and garment alterations classes with adults. Wendy has her own line of sewing patterns called MIY Collection. And she's written five best-selling sewing books, including her most recent title, How to Sew Sustainably, which was published in June. Wendy Ward, welcome. Hi, Abby. Thanks for having me on. It's really nice to talk to you. Oh, it's so nice to talk to you. I'm very excited to hear more about your career in sewing. And I'd love to start, we'll we'll go way back, but um, it sounds like you had a really kind of um, a, a dad who was a maker. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that is right. My dad was um, a joiner. So I kind of grew up around um, paint and wood and saws and hammers and nails and mixing cement and all of that kind of stuff. So yeah, I suppose I grew up knowing that it's possible to make things and do things and change things. Yeah, that's great. It's such an inspiration um, to have somebody in your family who's just showing by example what's possible um, and working with their hands. And so he was the one who went out and got you a sewing machine. That's right. Yeah. Um, it's funny because my my mom did and and still does absolutely hate sewing and that's funny my mom does too my mom hates sewing (laughs) yeah and and so many people that I meet they kind of say oh so did you learn to learn how to sew from your mom did your mom teach you how to sew and I'm like no yeah me neither and my my grandma hated sewing too and and like I think like you I got a machine when I was 12 were you about 12, yeah, 11, about, yeah, maybe around that age. Yeah. 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 And my, my grandma used to just bring me her mending and be like, here, you do it. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. It's <laughs> funny. Okay. So, so he bought you the sewing machine and, and your mom didn't like to sew, but, but he thought maybe you would. 
Yeah, I think I think maybe I'd started doing stuff at school. Um, it was, I don't know, maybe back in sort of this, well, probably 70s, early 80s when practical stuff and making things and art and getting messy was still quite a big part of schools in the UK. Um, it's definitely not so much now. Um and yeah, I had some great teachers and enjoyed starting to sew at school. Um, and then, yeah, he he kind of encouraged me by getting a machine, and I and I kind of carried on. Yeah, That's making great. various various odd things that um, I really wish I still had some of them now. Kind of a ranging from animals made out of pom poms through to making uh, bow ties. Wow, that's so funny. And so how did you learn? Because I, it sounds like you learned some from school, but yeah. um, but now you are really an expert drafter of, of garment patterns. And so did you just learn from, you know, from books or, I mean, it, this was before YouTube. So yeah, did yeah. you have a, a mentor or did you take some classes? No, nothing like that. I think it was just... Definitely just from books and using sewing patterns, you know, the traditional paper sewing patterns that, that come in envelopes. So I do remember having a few for toys. Um, I do remember my aunt buying me kind of uh, sewing kits to make toys as a child and me getting very excited about presents from her because there would often be of that theme. Um and yeah, and then just experimenting and playing around. And I'm an only child, um, so I often credit that with part of it as well, that, you know, I kind of probably was quite resourceful because I had to kind of entertain myself. Right. Yeah, that's true. So when you went to um, college, what did you decide to study? Did you want to be in the arts in some way or what did you focus on? Uh, when I first went to university, when I did my, I did a fashion degree, um, but I didn't do it straight from school. Um, kind of when I left school, I'd never left my hometown. I was kind of, I was a very young, naive 18 year old. Um, and the prospect of moving away to a different city to go to university was just totally daunting. And university was never something that was talked about at my school. I didn't know anyone that had been to university. So oh, wow. it just wasn't really on my radar. Um, so I sort of went off and got a job and, and just worked uh, for about four or five years and then went off to do my fashion degree as a what what they then called a mature student. I'm I'm not entirely sure how mature 23, <laughs> 23 is, but there you go. <laughs> so so um, those years working, though, I mean, I think some people would have said, well, I'm just working and I'm happy I'm earning money and don't want to really give that up. And um, but there was must have been something about um, about you that made you think, well, I, I actually do want to go to to college, despite the fact that maybe the people around me that I grew up with aren't doing that. So was mm-hmm. there was there some prompting that made you feel like, hey, I, I want to set this aside and, and go to college now? 
I think there's a few things really, I suppose. The, the, the job that I was doing, I wasn't particularly interested in. And it was working for an insurance company. And I, had some, I made some great friends that I'm still really good friends with today through that job. So that was definitely the upside of it. But in terms of, of the work and what I wanted to do with my life, I did used to just spend probably far too long sitting, looking out of the window, thinking, oh, God, I really don't want to do this for the next 40 yeah. years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, yeah, the, you know, I was earning a living and that was nice, but... I've never really been that motivated by money. It's never, it's kind of just been a means to an end for me. It's never been the end in itself. Um, and yeah, I, I, I just something just switched one day and I just thought, you know what? I've got to do something now, otherwise I never will. Right, right. And okay. I, I had been doing evening classes as well. I had been kind of doing adult ed after work doing sort of various creative things, dressmaking courses, art courses. So kind of keeping creative in that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So you went and, and got a degree in, in fashion design. And uh, was that interesting? Was it what you hoped it would be? I mean, did you learn some practical skills there that you still use now? Oh, yeah, totally. Um, I, 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 yeah, I did love that four years. Um it was a hard four years. It's a really intense course. It's the kind of kind of degree where you're in college every day working. Um, and I did a year out. So it was a sandwich course. So I worked for a year as well, which was brilliant. Um, and yeah, I, I learned a lot about the, the real world of how fashion really works in the real world, I think, doing, doing that course. Um, yeah. Okay. And so when you came out, you were qualified then to get a job in fashion. And so where did you go to work after college? So straight after college, I went to work for a, um, a, a, a UK uh fashion brand high street fashion brand that was probably one of the early brands that you perhaps would describe as fast fashion so multiple multiple uh ranges per year um pretty low price point um and I got the job I I, I took the job because it was it, it felt like quite a quite a responsible job um it was I was their sole designer on their for their boys wear um range um and I thought well you know that that's that's quite a responsibility for a graduate and they've offered it me so yeah great let's do that I'm going to learn a lot doing this um but then the reality of working for a fast fashion business kind of hit me (laughs) which was uh yeah spending the whole time pretty much sat looking at a computer screen drawing clothes on a computer screen quite often copying clothes that had been bought elsewhere um and having no input and no knowledge of who made the clothes how they were made 
not even really any input on fabrics or anything like that. Um, mm. And, yeah, it was a little bit soul-destroying for a graduate, really. Yeah, that's so interesting. I think you're the only person I've ever talked to who worked for a fast fashion brand in the design side. So that's really interesting to hear mm. what that really was like for you. Um, and so when when you were uh, when you were doing that, were you hoping to to maybe move on for your next job to be something different? Yeah, I, I knew that wasn't a job for life. Um, I, I tried to do some things differently. I, tr- I tried to kind of design a few things from scratch rather than copying things. And they were open to that. But inevitably, that process takes longer than just yeah. sitting and copying a garment. So for me to work like that, I, I was working incredibly long hours Um so, yeah, I, I knew that that I wasn't going to stay there for a long time. And then luckily, um, when I'd been doing my degree, I'd um, worked briefly with a small company uh, while I, as part of writing my dissertation, because I wrote my dissertation all about the environmental, environmental impacts of the fashion and textile industry. Um, and I got to do a bit of work experience with this small startup company um, and then they managed to get some funding so that they were able to offer me a full-time job. Wow. So yeah thankfully they came along and saved me. (laughs) Yeah and it sounds like this second company that you worked for was the antithesis of the first one in other words was all about sustainability and ethically made and sourced products and things like that so what was it like to go from alpha to omega these two completely different places yeah it amazing really um and yeah like you said it 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 they were just the complete two extreme ends of the fashion industry at that time and I mean, this was 2000 and 2001. Um, yeah, so I'd, I I kind of went from sitting at a computer screen, copying garments all day to um, basically doing everything um, because it was just me and the two founders that had set the business up. So and I was like the main person on the kind of creative design side. So I was coming up with design concepts, final designs for garments. I was doing the pattern drafting. um, And then they um, sent me off to India within months of joining the company because they worked with farmers and small kind of cooperatives to make the the clothes in India. Um, Yeah, so complete one extreme to the other. Yeah. And so what, what do you remember about that trip to, to, um, to India? What did you see when you were there and learn when you were there? It was a kind of, yeah, it, it blew my little naive, tiny mind, to be honest. <laughs> um, I'd never been to India before and I'd, I kind of, pre- I prepared for that work trip, but I, I just prepared for it on a work level I was totally thinking about what I needed to do while I was there how I was going to get it done I really yeah stupidly I gave no consideration to 
what it would be like as a place and how I would feel and what it might be like culturally and how I might react to that and the kind of climate and all of them kind of things. So I I vividly remember getting off the plane in Mumbai and it was really late at night and it was still absolutely boiling hot. As soon as I got off the plane, my glasses steamed up. My hair immediately started going wavy in this humid climate. And um, the, there was someone waiting to collect me at the airport. And uh, he drove me to this uh, this family house that I was staying with. And, yeah, and there were people walking cows along the road at you know at half 11 at night and it yeah it was just a complete assault on all of my senses and for the first few days I just felt like I was very much in fight or flight mode I kept thinking I can't do this I'm just gonna have to go back home again but then as soon as I thought that I thought no no you can do this just get on with it and just gradually settled in and the people were, were just so helpful and so kind and so generous. Um, and it, it turned out to just be wonderful. And I worked in this really small little um, workshop with a small group of people, um, working out designs while I was there. They were trying things out for me. They were making sample garments. We were, despite not being able to really communicate with each other verbally, we were managing to work things out with diagrams and showing each other stuff. And, yeah, just totally hands-on and wonderful. A million miles away from sat at a computer all day. Right, a totally different side of the industry and, yeah. and for you, just a different perspective. I want to take a minute now to talk with our sponsor, Judy from Bungalow Quilting. I'm Judy Godier. My business is Bungalow Quilting and Yarn. We are located in Ripon, Wisconsin. And we've been in business for 10 years. And tell us a little bit about the types of um, fabrics that you sell at Bungalow. Bungalow has the best fabrics anywhere. I guess I consider it myself kind of as a curator because I've been sewing my entire life and being in business for 10 years, I, I'm pretty much spot on onto what people are looking for. I have contemporary fabrics. We do not have any types of reproduction fabrics, but they're all very contemporary and people find them very applicable to their lives and their needs. And how quickly um, do the orders ship out at Bungalow? At Bungalow, because we're located in a small central Wisconsin town, we are right by the post office. So many times somebody will place an order and I happen to be walking past a particular bolt of fabric. We can have that order out in less than an hour sometimes. I mean, people are shocked at how fast they get their orders. So why do you feel like people might choose to shop online from Bungalow versus all the other e-commerce shops out there? There are a lot of e-commerce shops, but Bungalow provides the fastest shipping, the best service. We are very accommodating to our customers. You always, if you've got a large enough order, you're going to get free shipping. And our shipping rates are extremely reasonable. And you're going to just love our fabrics, probably better than so many of the e-commerce sites. And do you have a discount code to offer to our listeners? 
I do. For the entire month of October, because that's our anniversary month, it's 10 years this year, they can shop Bungalow and get a 10% discount using Bungalow in all caps. That's great. And where can we find Bungalow online? At bungalowquilting.com. Thank you so much, Judy. You're welcome. Thank you so much, Bungalow Quilting. And now, back to my conversation with Wendy. So you, you, it sounds like you've stayed at that job for, for a while. Um, and, and were you really turned on to the idea of sustainability through that uh, experience? Or did you have some other experiences? Because your, your latest book is all focused, which we'll talk about in a little while, is all focused on sustainable sewing. So I wondered whether, um, whether that was sort of the impetus or, or other things besides that experience. Um, I think it probably started when I, when I started thinking about things to do with sustainability and the environment when I, when I wrote my dissertation in my degree, then those two very contrasting kind of work experiences really sort of cemented that research and that learning that I'd done. Um, and I, I stayed with the, 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 the small ethical company for uh, about four or five years and then kind of moved into teaching um and I th- I think then the the teaching because I, mo- I moved into teaching and started doing lots of adult education um and that added a new layer because all the time when I'd been working for the small ethical company one of the things we constantly were coming up against was how to how to communicate the benefits of what we were doing to consumers and, and members of the public. And I think even now people still find that really difficult. It's, it, it's, I always think it's best to do it in a positive way rather than the, the kind of negative, oh, this is the harm that the fashion industry does, which are important messages. But I think if it's, negative messages the whole time I think you're in danger of turning a lot of people off and they just switch off and don't listen anymore um and through my teaching I realized that there's there's there was sort of dif- a different way to get through get these messages through to people because the number of times that I would have people in classes who um had just started to sew were just learning how to sew and make their own clothes and maybe repair their own clothes or alter their own clothes. And at some point, most of them would then would say versions of how can I go out and buy a T-shirt for the price of a coffee when it's so hard to make clothes? And Yeah, I think that's such a huge revelation. The first time you try to sew even the most simplest garment and you realize this is so labor intensive. And obviously when you're making them at scale, right, there are ways to shorten the yeah. the amount of work involved, but truly it, it still has to be made. And, yeah. and it, it is not something that can be made for, you know, 
a retail price of seventeen ninety nine or whatever. It is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, even that, even though they're all kind of there are industrial processes and 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 kind of methods to make it quicker and easier but still like you say at the end of the day it's still people operating pretty complex machines that requires some skill and all of the processes are still the same it's still inserting a sleeve it's still cutting out garment pieces it's still making sure the hem is the same depth all the way around the fundamentals of the same. Yeah, absolutely. How did you get into teaching? Um, since that wasn't necessarily your background, mm-hmm. um, was there an, a job opening or did you just meet some enough people who were asking you to teach a class or how did you first begin teaching adults to sew? Um, I, well, I stopped working for the, the kind of ethical uh, company and I'd started doing some freelance work and I wasn't enjoying that so much because I was spending lots of time on my own it was it was quite diff I was doing a lot of making bespoke garments for people and to really make a living at that it was really quite hard because going back to the same thing again people don't realize how much work goes into stuff so they don't want to really necessarily pay the true cost of what things uh the work involved and I had a few friends who were teachers and really enjoyed teaching and were really kind of creative inspirational people um some of whom I'd met while I'd been doing um an MA while I'd also been working at the ethical uh clothing company um and I think meeting them and doing my MA kind of open my eyes a little bit more again um and when I stopped working for for the ethical company and and realized that freelance work wasn't really for me I thought oh maybe I'll give teaching a go because it's around people it's helping people it's a really positive thing to do to encourage people to it it's sort of passing on my love of making um and and it's practical and hands-on. So, so yeah, I, I did a, um, over here in the UK, it's called a PGCE. So it's a really intense uh, academic year. So about nine months of um, training to be a teacher. Uh, so I did that and that probably was the hardest nine months of my life. <laughs> um, and yeah, I kind of realised through doing that that maybe school teaching wasn't exactly for me. Oh, so uh, you went into it thinking that you were going to be like an elementary school teacher or something like that. Not necessarily yeah. teaching sewing to adults, but you were going to get it like a, a credential in teaching. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so through that course did, uh, so was teaching kind of 11 to 18 year olds. Okay. Um, so yeah, after that, then I saw a job advertised locally to teach in adult ed and they were looking for people to kind of suggest courses and classes for the local adult ed centre. And I thought, actually, I think maybe I'd enjoy that a little bit more. Um, so yeah, that's how I got into teaching and 
really, really enjoyed it. Just such a kind of diverse, mixed group of people that were there, obviously because they really wanted to be there, unlike the school teaching. <laughs> yeah, very um, different. Yeah, yeah. Um, and really hands-on because it, it, it was just all practical, you know, no need to do any theory or any of that kind of stuff, just all let's just really get into and enjoy making stuff. And were there things that you picked up from your nine months in the teaching program that you do apply to teaching adults? Because I have a master's degree in education as well. And sometimes I'm like, well, what was the point of that? I'm not a teacher, but I do still, I feel like apply some of the um, theoretical underpinnings of that program to a lot of the things that I I do in my current job, which is quite different from what I thought I would be doing. Absolutely. Definitely. I mean, the most basic fundamental part, I think, is the confidence that it gives you Um, and the way that it makes you have a renewed appreciation for for what you do and what you know. Um, I mean, it, I think I think training to be a teacher rather than I think if I'd have just thought oh I'm I'm going to have a go at teaching some classes and had not done that teaching course I don't think I'd be as good a teacher at all because aside from that kind of massive confidence boost I think it gives you it's the th- it's it's the kind of the appreciation of how differently people learn that group dynamic of of how that affects the way that people learn um the kind of being able to spot the people that are floundering even when they're doing quite a good job of trying to hide it um yeah I don't think I would have even attempted teaching without doing that course it was really hard but I know why it was really hard because it taught me a hell of a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, while you were teaching, I always feel like when you teach your craft, you learn a lot because you're seeing something that you're expert in through the eyes of a novice and their questions, the stumbling blocks that they have are incredibly informative. Um, So I wondered whether you felt that way too, kind of, you know, was that, an, uh, did that spur you on to want to write a sewing book or do other things? And, and kind of what did you learn from the experience of teaching people to do Absolutely. this craft? Yeah, I, I completely agree. And that saying, I don't, you know, I don't know whether it's a universal saying, but that saying that the best way to learn is to teach is just so true. Um yeah, I, I just learn how to not make no assumptions whatsoever about what people already knew or what people or people's pre-existing skills. It Yeah, it, it's just find out, don't just assume and check and, yeah, treat everyone the same. I just love the idea, by the way, of, of not assuming 
that people know something and um, have skills. And I think that's really what sets the indie sewing pattern designers apart from maybe some of the more traditional um, pattern companies is there was a lot of assumed knowledge there that maybe at one time people did possess or somebody in their family possessed. But I think you and I are testament to the fact that we came from families where nobody had that knowledge. And so had I opened a, you know, and I, and I think I did, you know, a, a big four sewing pattern in, in 1988, when I first got my sewing machine and had nobody to help me, there would have been no way that I would have understood, you know, what are these notches? What is the seam allowance? I didn't know anything. So I think being able today to create a pattern that truly anyone can come into and succeed at is what really sets these um, indie designers like yourself apart. So, um, so anyway, let's talk a little bit about the book uh, concept for the first one. Uh, the the very first book that I did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had wanted to write a book for quite a long time. Um, so um yeah, I, I finally managed to kind of pitch it to a publisher who said yes. And yeah, we we just wanted to include kind of some basic styles that would be, and, and then my kind of um, big um, thing that I wanted to kind of uh, make sure I included in that book was um, that it, people could adapt the patterns and the the projects in ways to kind of suit their own, either their own skill level or their own and or their own kind of toast as well. So I didn't want to be producing something that was just like, here's the pattern, here's the garment, it's going to turn out exactly the same no matter what, you can't deviate from these instructions and this is it, this is how it's going to be. So I kind of tried to build in ways that people could adapt them and in doing so kind of build on their skills as well. So I I sort of tried, I was definitely seeing that book from the point of view of, of a teacher as well and building skills and starting at a kind of relatively easy entry point and working your way through and gradually building on skills and improving existing ones and just that gradual kind of repetition, introduce something a little bit new, a bit more repetition, introduce something new. Um, and yeah, just just kind of, and, and encourage people's creativity as well. Um, allow them to kind of have a bit of an, an input into the end result as well. And um, you said that you had wanted to write a book for a while. Um, and did you put together this idea? And tell us the name of this first book, too, so people can go find it um, and okay. check it out. But did you develop the idea and then, you know, write a book proposal and 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 ship it out to a whole lot of different publishers? Yeah, yeah. So it's so the first one was Beginner's Guide to Dressmaking. Um, and that came out in I think that was 2014 um and I did I I kind of yeah I I was determined I I did my research I learned how to write a book proposal I looked on loads of different publishers websites to find out what they were looking for and and how they wanted people to pitch ideas and 
I wrote myself a really thorough proposal and sent it off to all the craft book publishers that I knew of, basically, um, and got a lot of no's. Um, but, you know, and and the first one was really disappointing. Yeah. Um, I think it's important for people to hear that you did get those no's, that it wasn't just an immediate yes. Or I know with some of the past guests on this show who've written books, a publisher has reached out to them. And so it's really just like landed in their lap. Um, mm. That wasn't the case for my books, but it's interesting to hear that it wasn't the case for yours either, but you persisted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that, yeah, that, that at first that is hard because it, it's, you know, you've never done it before. So it, it's, it would be easy to just think, to just take that no and think, oh, well, they know what they're doing. They're a big publisher. Obviously my idea is not good enough, but yeah, something made me keep sending it out to more publishers. Um, and then, yeah, thankfully, if eventually one one said yes. Um, it wasn't exactly the original book that I published, uh, that I, I proposed. Um, but the, I think the essence of it is, is, is what I proposed. That's, um, yeah, that's another big piece of this too, right? Is that Oftentimes a publisher will come back, respond to your inquiry, but then they they might like a nugget of what you have, but they have another idea either to layer on top of it or to change mm-hmm. your original proposal. And, you know, sometimes that's great. And then sometimes what they are coming up with sounds horrible to you and really mm-hmm. buries what you had in mind. Um, and so you have to then think, do I want to do this? But Oftentimes, so I find that their um, their vision is really helpful because they know what sells. Exactly. Yeah. And so you can, if you listen, you can really learn a lot about the market just by interacting with the publisher who's telling you, here's your work. Here's how to make it into something that people are going to buy. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. Yeah. You're dead right there. And that, and that's a great piece of advice I think for anyone hoping to pitch a book that yeah if a publisher comes back and says oh yeah kind of we like it but how about we make it more like this they know how to sell books so yeah just just learn from it I mean you know hopefully I think that's what I managed to do um I kind of learned from it moved on did another book learned from that, moved on. Um, and I have to say that the, f- the first book that was 100% what I proposed and ended up being what I proposed, the first book that that that, that was was probably my book about sewing with Knitter Fabrics, which was my third book. So... Yeah, not until the third one, really, did I write a hundred percent what I had what I had set out to write. Yeah, and it's so interesting. I had a similar experience. Like the idea for the first one was so overly complicated, I ended up doing something completely different. But came back to it for the second one, and after I understood how does this process really work, and what do I really need to do, and I was able to simplify it and make it 
much more saleable. So it is a learning process when you're writing a book, but did you find that um, working with the, I mean, I guess the, tell us a little bit about like the pace since now you've written five books, which is really incredible, by the way, congratulations on that much work, but um, about the pace of doing this. So uh, you also have a sewing pattern business, as we mentioned, and you also teach, but then you have to write this book and that's a very intense thing. So how do you handle all of that? <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. It's got easier because I've now kind of got a system for how, for how I work on books. Um, that first book was probably the most tough in terms of schedule and how I organised my work because that came at a point when I was the busiest in the rest of what I did because I had just started um, kind of printing and selling my own range of patterns. I had just opened my own studio in Brighton where I was teaching my sewing classes. So, you know, I had a kind of proper business which was generating an income. I had, you know, financial commitments, bills to pay. I couldn't just stop doing all that. Right. So for that first book, yeah, I think about it now and I think, wow, how did I do that? (laughs) But I basically, I I did myself the most thorough schedule I think I've ever done for any project. And, you know, I had my deadline for when everything had to be in and I worked backwards from that. And week by week, I made myself a plan of what I had to get done each week. And I ended up, I did a week of solid working on my book. Then I'd do a week where I'd go back to teaching my classes and do my book in between. And then a week solid working on my book. And then a a week of kind of normal working with my classes and stuff. And I managed to keep it going that way. Um, And I managed to meet what were pretty tight deadlines as well. Um, I didn't have much of a life I bet. otherwise. <laughs> yeah, that would be too much. Yeah. So yeah. tell us about um, the MIY studio. Is that a studio space that you still have? And I mean, I'm not sure after COVID how how that lasted or, or what happened there. But was it, was it um, nice and helpful to have your own space to teach in versus, you know, being reliant on a, a shop or... Mm. Um, a, a, you know, outside space that you would need to rent or something like that. So I had, um, so I had a MI MIY workshop when I, because I lived in Brighton for eighteen years. So Brighton is on the south coast of the UK. For anyone that's not in the UK, um, and yeah, I had my own studio space that I, you know, that was in town, and I rented that studio space, and that was where I taught my classes and where I did my work in between classes. But I left Brighton in 2019 and I moved back up to where I am now in Sheffield, which is in the north of um, the UK in Yorkshire, which is where I'm originally from. Um, So I I gave up MIY workshop in 2019. Um, I was sad to give it up because you know, I'd built it up from almost nothing. It was, it was successful. Um, But it also 
I think for anyone that's kind of run their own business and rented business premises probably will understand that it's it's very all-consuming yeah um I had I had probably a good about seven or eight years um where I, you know I, I I I was successful and I I enjoyed what I was doing but it was a very much it was all work and no play it mm-hmm. was just pretty much you know 99% work all of my time um so I was actually quite glad to give it up when I gave it up yeah um so um yeah so now up in up in Sheffield so pre-covid I was still doing a little bit of teaching but not quite so much um because the cost of living in Yorkshire is way less than in Brighton um so there was far less uh sort of financial pressure on me um but I, I was still te- doing bits of teaching, but for other people, which was really nice. So I'd be teaching in other people's sewing businesses and shops. It suited me because, you know, I didn't have an awful lot of, con- you know, I, I had control over my classes, but, you know, it was very much under the umbrella of someone else's business. But they also took on all the admin, right. which was amazing yeah yeah right once <laughs> after ex- all those years yeah of, once you've experienced yeah. all sides of it there's it's yeah. sometimes nice to not have to do everything oh yeah yeah chasing people to pay sending reminders dealing with last minute cancellations uh yeah I was so happy not to have to do that right yeah that's so interesting and some words of wisdom for somebody yeah. who's out there thinking hmm, I want to do this it, not that you can't but that there is yeah a lot of behind the scenes work that either you or someone you delegated to is going to have to yeah. take on in order for it to work. Yeah, um, absolutely. Which yeah. I know you understand as well. It's- yeah, it is. It's it's a constant. <laughs> it's just a constant. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. So let's talk about this new book um, a little bit. This new book, How to Sew Sustainably, um, tell us about what kind of projects are inside of it and what people can expect and, and maybe what inspired you to to choose this topic for this this book yeah um well it's got it's got uh, all sorts of different projects in there um and credit to my publisher i i really wasn't that sure that that they would go for it because um yeah it, it you know it's 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 you know it's it's something that people are interested in but it it also i i just really did doubt whether they would whether they would go yeah let's do that um because they're all about kind of you know the mainstream craft books so i took that as a real endorsement that they were willing to back a book like this um and it, it's got um, a range of projects in there. It also, it's not just dressmaking, which was another reason I thought, mm, I'm not sure whether they're going to go for this or not, because I, I'd proposed, you know, not just dressmaking, but uh, art textiles projects, home sewing projects, 
because really the the focus was on best use of materials rather than the end result. Um, and and a so lot the- are these projects like you would go through your closet, find things that you aren't wearing anymore or go through to a thrift store or things like that and and then cut those things apart and and create something new is it is that sort of the gist yeah that that could that is one definitely one of the approaches um so that that I think that's a great way of finding a source of new fabric so it's not so much about um kind of adapting or refashioning existing clothes um it's more about finding new sources of fabrics through uh, old clothes, old household textiles, um, and making things that don't waste any fabric. So uh, most of the garment projects in there I've described as being um, minimal waste. So they're not zero waste because for me zero waste really means there's absolutely nothing left over at all um some of them are like that but some of them there might be kind of tiny little bits left over but the approach of the book is um that I approach the projects and the techniques in terms of what fabrics you've got and the size of the pieces of fabrics that you've got available so I've got different techniques in there that are appropriate depending on what what size of piece of fabric you've got. So be it something like a kind of a, a, a sort of like an end of length that you might have got left over when you've been making a garment and you've got that awkward size bit left over at the end and you think, oh, it's a reasonable size chunk of fabric, but I can't quite squeeze another garment out of it. What shall I do with it? you kind of keep it and you think I'll use it for something. And then there's kind of, there's the kind of smaller pieces that you end up left over after projects. And then even down to kind of tiny scraps. So when you've trimmed off seams, um, the kind of overlock of spaghetti that you end up with, I've got techniques for using all of those different types of sizes of fabric. That sounds great and super useful. For anybody who sews and wants to learn more about reuse and squeezing up their scraps, which we all have so many of. So yeah. um, that's great. And uh, and the book is out now, so people can can check it out. Um, it's called How to Sew Sustainably. And, um, and then I understand you are embarking on a new chapter as well, which is that you are going to be getting your PhD. And it's so interesting because... You had mentioned earlier that, you know, you didn't know that you would go to college at all. Um, and now not only do you have a, a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, a teaching certificate, and now you're getting a PhD. I think you took well to a uh, higher education. Yeah, I kind of got addicted to it, I think. Um, yeah, and and. It's just so interesting how it's come about as well, Abby, really. It's 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 just bizarre. Um I had it's something that I'd 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 thought about before. I thought about it um pretty much as soon as I finished my MA because I enjoyed doing that so much. And I I applied and got accepted to do a PhD back then, 
but for for various reasons it never happened but that kind of thought never really kind of completely went out of my head so it had carried on lingering um and it was a chance conversation with on instagram of all places with um a really lovely woman who had been to just one of my classes here in Sheffield and she put me in touch with um a uh, a couple of people at the university here uh in in Sheffield um and we started a conversation and it I, I also i think that maybe had the situation not been as it has been for the last 18 months it might not have happened because even though that thought was still in my head you know I was kind of caught up with I was writing a book and I might have written another book and I was teaching and you know when things are working and things are going well it's really hard to stop doing it and say I'm not going to do that anymore I'm going to I'm going to do something different this was like an enforced pause yeah 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 um so when all my teaching stopped last March I didn't immediately turn to teaching online and doing zoom classes I was fortunate because I had how to sew sustainably my new book to work on so that had only just recently been commissioned when the first lockdown happened. Um, so I was in the fortunate position that I had work. Um, and I just thought, you know what? No, I'm, I'm not going to automatically find a replacement for my classes. I'm going to have a bit of a think about this. Um, yeah. And That's then great. That, that all started in October last year. And I had my, it's all been done on Zoom and email. And um, yeah, I had my my interview in in July and it's happening. That's that's (laughs) fantastic. Well, we'll have to check in in a few years and see how it go, how the program goes, because it's such a big undertaking. So yeah, 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 but it'll be, it's exciting and it'll be Great, I'm sure, and very fulfilling. Um, I'm sure I'm really as well. looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I wanted to get to your recommendations, if that's okay. Okay. Um, so you had one for the Great British Photography Challenge. So is this similar to the Great British Bake Off? It, I suppose, in a way, it is, but in a way as well, it's not. So. Um, there's also Great British Sewing Bee. I don't know right. you can, whether you can get I've that seen, in the US. Yeah, I've yeah. seen a few episodes, yeah. Yeah, so that's sort of same format as the Bake Off. It's very time-pressured and it's kind of, yeah, each week someone has to leave. This photography one was just so inspiring and and really uh, it just appealed to lots of the teacher in me because they didn't eliminate someone each time it was much more about seeing how each person involved grew and developed 
over the course of the series and I thought that was a really nice way of doing yeah. it. Yeah, my my middle child absolutely loves photography. So I'm not sure if I can get it in the US, but I will give it a go and yeah. see because I know he would love it. So I will take a look. Um, that's a great recommendation. Um, and then you have done some on- online art classes through the Royal Drawing School. Yeah, they've, they've been they were they yeah they've been so inspiring um I think we've all kind of enjoyed some online classes over the last 18 months um I think that's been the kind of upside really of everything that's happened um yeah I mean the Royal Drawing School is based in London um this is their kind of um you know uh public access program so anyone can do these courses um but had they been in person I I wouldn't have been going from Sheffield to London to do them um so yeah they were just lovely and there were people from all over the world doing them as well yeah that's awesome yeah and then you wanted to recommend a book and I haven't read this book The Day the World Stops Shopping by J.B. McKinnon yeah, I, I recently, I really wish I could remember how I came across this book, but I can't at the moment. Um, I've not finished reading it yet, but it's it's a lot about what I'm going to be um, looking into in my PhD. This, this kind of, the fact that we're just, you know, not just clothes, but everything. We're just, we're just buy too much stuff yeah and we don't need it all and it's not making us happy and do we need it all and what happens to it when you know after a few months sometimes we've got bored of it and what about if we just stopped shopping what would happen right oh such an interesting concept to think through that's a great recommendation Well, Wendy, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I really enjoyed talking to you. Oh, thanks so much, Abby. It's been really, really nice to chat. Thanks for having me on. And you've been listening to the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today's episode was sponsored by Bungalow Quilting. Bungalow Quilting carries the highest quality and most recent fabric releases. Your order will ship in less than 24 hours and they are centrally located. Curated by a five-time author for CNT Publishing and designer for Studio E Fabrics, Judy knows how to select great fabrics for her shop. Shop online and use the discount code BUNGALOW to receive a 10% discount on your purchase for the month of October 2021. Thank you so much, Bungalow Quilting. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals. When you become a member of Craft Industry Alliance, you get in-depth coverage of craft industry news, the opportunity to connect with fellow professionals for advice and support, and access to an educational library filled with ideas, tools, and resources to help you as you build your business. Join us at craftindustryalliance.org. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.